Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us. Whether the sun's out or not doesn't matter. For, Lord, it is a gift from you, and every gift from you is perfect. And so we look for that goodness in this day. We look for your blessing, your, your, your goodness, your love in this day, Father. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to come together as the body of Christ and worship openly and freely when we never take that for granted. And Lord, we're looking to you today to do what your word promises us. For your word says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard all that you have prepared for those who love you. But your spirit's been given to us, the Holy Spirit, to reveal these things to us. And that he searches even the depths of your heart to bring them up and to make them known to us. The natural man cannot understand the things of God, but the Spirit of God in us reveals them to us. And so, Father, we ask today that the Holy Spirit would do what he's been given to us to do today, to take the, the, the living Word of God and breathe it into our hearts that it becomes alive in us, and that we would leave here today different than where we came that we would be more alive with your love for us, more alive with how real you are, more alive, Father, with the Spirit of God inside of us. Fill us with your Spirit. And we thank you for that in advance in Jesus' name. And everyone agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, as you can tell by the graphic up there, if you can read it well, that we're beginning a new series today. And this is, I'll give you a little bit of background on this. Um, This is some things that God has been doing in, in my life and in Anita's life, and, and, uh, and it's the result, I know, of, of, of years of prayer for us as well as for you, so it's going to come to you also. A prayer that that's God just put in my heart a number of years ago out of uh, Ephesians chapter 3, that he, and I pray it here very often, that He would strengthen us by His Spirit in our inner man, by the Holy Spirit in our inner man, that Christ may actually dwell in our hearts. We know Jesus is in us. But just because he's in us doesn't mean he's free to live in us, that he's free to carry out his will, that he's free to express himself, that Christ may dwell in us, live in us, express himself through us, that being rooted and grounded, rooted means the root goes down and draws its life from it, the taproot, and grounded means foundation established in it, rooted and grounded in love, we might come to know together with all the saints, that's us and every, all the other saints, what is the breadth, the width, the depth, the height, and the length, and to know, that word means to know by experience, the love of Christ. And here's the key, that passes understanding, that's beyond our mind's ability to grasp, so that we may be filled up with all of His fullness. That's God's will for you and me. That we be so, that be so, so have such a revelation of, of the love of Christ for us, God's love for us through Christ, that we are filled with Him. And what I've found is most of my walk as a Christian, most of my being a pastor, I've been trying to do that through my own strength. I've been trying to love people through my own strength. I've been trying to be obedient through my own strength. I'm trying to be generous through my own strength. I'm trying to have faith through my own strength. I'm trying to love people through my own strength. And how much, how many of you do know your strength will run out? especially when people don't receive it too well. And God's begun to open me up, my heart up to things I've known for years, but what it says that the, that the, the love of Christ that passes understanding. So this is what we're going to get into now. You can't understand with your mind. Now, I'm going to teach you how to receive it, but the purpose as we begin this is just to make us aware we need this desperately in our life. In fact, what I'm understanding now is many things that really haven't worked fully in my life the way I know they're supposed to is because of this. And this is, what, and I believe if it's true in me, it's got to be true in, in most of us. I'm going to look and start in John chapter 3, most famous verse in the Bible probably. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. A number of Christmases ago, my whole message was the word so, S-O. For the key word in this verse is for God so loved. Because if you take the word so out, you're stating a fact, and that's where most of us are. For God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That communicates an historical event that happened over 2,000 years ago that God loved the world, loved us, and gave His only begotten Son. 
And that's where most of us are. If I asked you for a show of hands right now, how many of you believe that God loves us, we'd all raise our hand because we do believe that in our head. What we're going to get into, probably not today, is do you really know that? Because the key word in this verse, what changes this verse from being an historical fact to being a relationship is that little word, S-O, for God, so. Because everything after that is telling us something about God. Without that little word, so, S-O, in there, it's an historical event. It's telling us something God about God. But the word, so, tells us the measure of His glove. It tells us something about God. And what we're going to see as we get into this study is that everything we do with God or for God or allow God to do through us all depends on what we know about Him. Not in our head, but what do we know of Him? What do we know of Him? So what we're going to learn is that for God so loved the world. Now, I grew up in church knowing that verse. And until one night, when I was about 36, 37 years old, that verse changed for me because what dawned on me is God didn't just so love the world, God loved John. And that changed my life because when I discovered that God loved me personally, then I opened the door of my heart, only just a little crack, but I opened it to let him in to show me that love inside of me. The purpose of our study is to begin to come to a revelation. And that's why I put, it's hard to see with this graphic, God so loves you. Say, God loves me. See, it's easy to be, look at your neighbor or look at someone else or look at the pastor or look, say, God loves them. But the issue is the revelation that God loves me. And it's, I've done it for years. I sat in church hearing messages about God loves us, and I would sit there, and I would, my mind would just deflect it to everybody else. See, I know God loves them. But there were still issues in me that kept me from receiving that God loved me. And we're going to get into some of those issues that keep us from receiving it. But the whole purpose of the beginning of this is to awaken us to realize that the reason why many things are not working in our lives the reason why we're struggling with so many things in so many different areas is because this revelation has not yet hit our heart. And we're going to look at this. This is the foundation of everything with God. Everything with God is based on the revelation that God loves me and what that love means. So we're just opening the subject up this morning. I was, um, I, I was interesting because last night, I've heard this years ago, but I forgot who it was, and so I, and it's a wonderful thing about technology. I was lying in bed about to go to sleep, and I pulled up my iPad and said, you know what, I want to figure out who it was that said that. And I just Googled in the statement and theologian, and it popped right up. Back in the, uh, in the 20th century, the last, you know, the 1900s, one of the leading theologians, and this doesn't mean a whole lot to most of us, but, but I want just bear with me. One of the th leading theologians, most important theologians of the 20th century was a man named Karl Barth, B-A-R-T-H. And whether you remember his name or not, not important. But he was, he was one of the ones that began to bring the awareness of, of, of theology into a relationship with God through Christ, to bring it real. Because what theologians tend to do is they're all in their head. It's a, th it's a study, just like philosophy is a study, except it's a study of God. And I, I can tell you, you don't need to go there, that if all you try to do is understand God with your head, you're not going to get very far with Him. Because this is all a matter of the heart. That's what we're going to learn. And so, but what he did was begin to bring it into a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's why he's so important. And one of his major works he wrote was a thing called Dogma. You don't need to remember that. But it was 13 books, 8,000 pages of deep theological thought. And he came to the United States and started teaching at Princeton University and began to travel around the country lecturing. And the story is, and this article I read last night says, we can't verify whether it's true or not, but I don't care whether it's true or not. It brings my point across this morning. Somebody at one of these lectures apparently said, we've got your 13 volumes, your 8,000 pages of your theology, but Dr. Barth, can you reduce it to one statement? 
And he thought back and he said, I can. Here it is. And they all got their notepads out. <clears throat> Not iPads, they didn't have them back then, but they got their... By the way, some of you, we used to write with a thing called paper <laughs> and a pen or a pencil if you needed to erase it. Those old implements. You may see them in some old movies or historical documentaries. They got out their paper and they started to write this. Here's the great theologian and his words of wisdom. And he just closed his eyes and looked back. I'm, I'm imagining that part. He said, here it is. And they're ready. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's why I don't sing the choir. <laughs> For the Bible tells me so. And he stopped. And I'm sure there was someone looked at, that's it? 8,000 pages, 13 books reduced to that? And that's exactly it. Everything in the Bible comes down to this. Jesus loves me. This I know. And the reason I know it isn't because I feel it this morning. Isn't because you treated me that way this morning. Isn't because the sun's out and the birds are singing and my checkbook's full and my kids are sitting at my doorstep this morning saying, oh, we love you, Dad. Oh, no, it's not because of any of those things. The reason I know Jesus loves me is because the Bible tells me so. I've shared with you a number of times, you know, especially last Sunday, I was reminded of again, as we saw the children up here singing and, you know, going, you know, and they're scratching themselves instead of being like our choir and our music people are so sophisticated and realized, you know, in God's eyes, we're... <laughs> we're children. And He's our Father. Romans 8 says... We've not been given, and we're probably looking at this down, down the road. We've not, not been given a spirit of bondage again to fear. That's what we've been called out of. But we've been given a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. I looked that word Abba up. It's an Aramaic word that means daddy. But I heard, a, I heard a, 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 an, an Arab Christian Talk about that word. Because words, especially when you get into the East or Mideast and East, the words have an emotion to them. In, in our society, they're not quite so much. And he said, he said, what this word means, those of you that have been parents and you bring your precious baby home for the first time, especially your first one, I'll never forget this one, and you put him in the, in the crib, you know, hmm? She wasn't our first child. She was our grandchild. Okay. This is my message. Tomorrow, Nick, you do my yours tomorrow. <laughs> that was my wife, for those of you on the radio. I'll stay off here, here. See, it stirs the emotion in her of a grandmother. You take this, first your first child especially, and you put him in that crib. And I remember our doctor, the pediatrician, says, now, you know, don't, don't go back in there every time they cry. They'll survive. I've never had a child die. Some parents, I think, did, but I never had a child die. And you hear them crying. And as an instinct of a parent is what? To rush in. And everything, in fact, he said, you'll learn the difference between a cry that really needs you to go in and a cry that's just trying to get your attention. Why? Because you're their parent. Nobody else can discern that. Oh, I know what you're referring to. I remember when our granddaughter Emma was in the nursery. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, never mind. I forgot that one. <laughs> Is you hear, everything in you hears that child and can tell what that child... And, and all the child's doing, the child is not in the crib saying, Mother... I need my pants changed <laughs> or mother, my foot is caught in the rubber bumper. A child can't do that. The child doesn't know what it needs. The child just knows I'm stuffed, something's wrong. I don't even know what it is. And all the child needs to do, and I want to do it for my voice's sake, is just cry out. And mom 
hears that instinctively and can't stay still. That's what that word Abba means. So when we cry out, Father, to Him, it may sound like Father to us, but when it really comes out of your heart, out of a need of your heart, see, some of the most powerful, effective prayers I've ever prayed is, Help! Because they're real. There's no religion in it. It's not coming out of my mind. How should I say this? What should I say? It just comes out of that need of your gut, your heart. And I've never failed to have God answer it right away. Why? Because He's my Father. The Spirit crying, Abba, Father. It's a relationship. But you can't enter into that relationship and enjoy that relationship and walk in that relationship until you get firmly grounded and rooted in the fact that God loves you. God loves you. What I began to discover, and it's a personal revelation. We'll talk about that. I've begun to discover what we're going to need to do is not just know it, but begin to experience it. And we'll talk about how you do that. Just trying to whet your appetite this morning. It is the foundation of everything God wants to do for you. I want to let that sink in. It's the foundation of everything God wants to do for you. It all comes through the door of the knowledge that God loves you. And here's the problem. We've tried to receive things from God. We've tried to walk in the things of God. We've tried to do things for God without that revelation established deep in our heart. And when we don't do those things out of that revelation, we do them in our own strength. And what we're going to learn is we slip back under the law, and I'll teach you what that means. We start trusting in our efforts and our knowledge and our ability, and what that does is it opens the door to condemnation and fear. And many Christians, I might even say most Christians, are to one degree or other operating in that and don't even realize it, and it's why things aren't working. It's not on God's end. It's on our end. And we're going to look at that. So the reason why we struggle in these areas, and we're going to look at, we may not get through them all this morning, and there are many others, but these are key ones for me. Why we struggle with loving other people the way we're supposed to. Why we struggle in faith. Why we struggle getting our prayers answered or just praying. Many Christians just struggle to pray. It's a burden to pray. We get up in the morning and it's like turning the hourglass on or turning the timer on. Well, I need to give God my 10 minutes. That's not prayer. That's the law. That's works. That's serving your time. If prayer is not the most exciting part of your day, and by prayer I don't mean the first 30 minutes, first five hours, first 10 minutes, first five minutes on your knees. I mean talking to Him throughout the whole day. Walking with Him. Letting Him work in your life and through your life, communicating with you. If your prayer life is not like that, it's because somewhere there we don't have this revelation of how much God loves us. Because when we're around somebody that really loves us, we want to be with them, don't we? You want to be around somebody that, I mean, I don't mean somebody says, I love you, love you, love you. No, you can feel love from people. People that have loved me like that, I'm drawn to them. I want to talk, I mean, fell in love with my wife 40, almost 50 years ago. I was over 50 years ago. We met. I mean, I couldn't wait, because back then we didn't have these phones that are in our pocket. We actually had to, pick up a phone and actually dial it. Finally got to the point you could push buttons. And you had to make a long-distance phone call and think about how long can I talk because they charged you for how long you talked when it was long-distance, and this was. But I spent my money talking to her. I would write letters every day, and that's not me because it was, I couldn't afford to call her every day. Why? My whole heart was towards her. I wanted to be with her. Why? What drew me? Because she loved me. So when you're around people that really sincerely love you for who you are, you want to be with them. You want to talk with them. You want to be around them. So why is it we don't do that with God? Why is prayer a burden? Why are all the things the Bible tells Why are they such a burden? 
Because we don't really know him. We don't really know how much he loves us. Because when you begin to get a revelation of how much he loves you, the issue is going to be going to work. The issue is going to be doing the dishes. The issue is going to be, I, don't, I, don't, I want to take you with me. Walking with God when you really know him is the most exciting. It is life itself. Jesus said, this is eternal life. It's not just living forever. It's a quality of life. It's life at the level God lives. This is eternal life that you might know him, God, and the Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's no, and that word know in Greek means a personal, intimate knowledge. Closest possible knowledge possible. So when we struggle with loving other people, when we struggle with faith receiving from God, when we struggle with our prayer life, we're going to get even better now. When we struggle with obedience, this is my commandment. Not suggestion, commandment. Ugh. The word commandment just causes me to cringe up inside. When I do that, it's because I don't know God's love for me. We're going to look at that. When we struggle with prayer, obedience, here, here, ready for this one? If nothing else hits you, fear. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have ever feared because I would give people a chance to lie. We all deal with fear. We're going to learn that fear in your life is a symptom that you don't really know how much God loves you. It's a symptom. Giving and generosity. If you struggle, some people just have a giving personality and others of us don't. It's not my natural tendency. I've learned how to do it, but when you have a revelation of how much God's been generous with you because He loves you, when you have a revelation of how much God loves you, you can afford to be generous because you're not worried. Okay. And then finally, if you have trouble just receiving from God, receiving His benefits, receiving the things He's done for you, all of these are symptoms that we do not yet really know. We know in our head, but we don't have a revelation inside of us. Because when we have that revelation inside of us, all those things are easy. Jesus said, in John, excuse me, it says in John chapter 4, my commandments aren't difficult. The things I tell you to do aren't difficult. So if they're difficult for you, if they're difficult for me, then something's missing. See, this is so important. Our walk with God ought to be the most real thing in our life. But most Christians live two lives. We live our life in church and connect group and when we're around people of church. And then we live the real life, getting up and going to work tomorrow and dealing with those situations at work. Getting up tomorrow and realizing I've got bills to pay that I don't know how I'm going to pay them. Getting up tomorrow and I might, I might, there may be sickness in my body. I may have been giving some diagnosis I don't want. It, it, whatever the issues may be that come in and overwhelm us and we get gripped with fear or discouragement, whatever those things are, and, 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 and they begin to overcome us. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul says we're more than conquerors through Christ. Jesus said, fear not, I've overcome the world for you. He didn't overcome the world for him. He didn't need to do that. He overcame the world, the pressures of the world, the, the, the situations of the world that try to press. He overcame them for us and gave us his peace, gave us his joy because he gave us his love. So these are all symptoms, and this is all I want to show you this morning. Begin. These are all symptoms that we don't yet have a true revelation, and it has to come by revelation. And we'll talk about how to get there again. So don't get discouraged if you say, oh, I don't know how to get a revelation. We'll get there. But you've got to see your need first. If you don't see the need first, you'll keep going on the way you're going, and you are missing life. The Bible says, Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. And by the way, he's come that you might have life. Not live. See, life is not just getting through. This word life doesn't mean survival. It doesn't mean going from one day to the next day. 
Like somebody said, you know, brother, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. The question is, what, what are you doing under the circumstances? They should not... Think, troubles will come in life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. How many of you have that verse on your, on your, on your, on your refrigerator? God, I'm believing you for tribulation. You don't need to believe him for that. It's here. But fear not. The tribulation, the trouble, for I have overcome the world. Because Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. That you might have life. That word is the word zoe, which means life, listen to him carefully, at the level God lives it. You think God's discouraged today? You think God got up today and says, oh my me. Oh me, what am I going to do? How, you, think, you think you got trouble? God's got the whole world like, dealing with people like you and me. And then there's a whole mess in the rest of the world. You think God got up and looked at the headlines of USA Today and said, oh, is this worth it? God lives life victoriously. Circumstances don't overwhelm him. Jesus, they didn't overwhelm him. Say, well, that's because he's God. But God took on flesh and walked among us to show us what this life is like. And people didn't like him, but it didn't move him. His own hometown tried to throw him off a cliff when he preached his first sermon there. And he walked right through them. Most Christians are living life at the natural level. And we're not living life at the level that God has given us. And, and this is the statement you need to hear. Because, oh, say, that pastor, that would be nice if I had it. You do. Because the Bible says if you're in Christ, the kingdom of God is within you. There's nothing that you need from God. There's nothing that God has for you in his kingdom that he has not already put inside of you. And we learned about this in Renewing the Mind. The reason we're not walking in it is A, ignorance, we don't know it's in there. Or B, unbelief, I may know it's in there, but I don't really believe it. Or there are other blocks that we can have. I'm not worthy of this. There are all kinds of things that can keep us from a releasing that life in us, but it doesn't stop it from being in you because God said, I put my life in you. I put my kingdom in you. The Bible says the same spirit. Think about this. We talked about this on Easter. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that went down into the bowels of hell of this earth and took Christ in the grips of Satan and brought him alive in the place of death and lifted him up out of there and seated him at the right hand. That same spirit lives inside of you now if you're in Christ. And we're barely getting by. The goal of most Christians, I think, is to survive. That's the goal of the world. Paul says you're acting like just mere men. Ever think about that? That's a strange statement. You're acting like mere men, or aren't we just mere men? Not if you're saved. We're a child. Listen to me. If you're saved, you're a child of the living God. Amen. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. Because the same spirit that's been in me, the Father in me, is now going to be in you. And we come to church and hear it, and we'll clap, we'll sing songs, we'll get excited, and go live our life as if. And the problem is this young generation sees that difference. They see us living one way in church, talking one way in church, and living a different way out in the world. And we shouldn't feel condemned about that. The reason we're doing that is because this revelation of God's love for us, how real He is how real His love is for us. It's more real than that chair you're sitting in. It's more real than that breath you just took. It's more real than your, than your foot that's going to sleep. Or more real than you it's going to sleep. It's more real than anything. God is more, He is the source of life. He is life itself. 
He is love. He is joy. And all of those are living in you. But they're not real to us because he's not real enough to us. And what God wants to do in the earth, what God wants to do in this church now, I think hinges on this revelation. We've been trying to change ourselves. We've been working hard to try to change ourselves. We've been working hard and doing all the right things and not always all the right things. And we forget and we stumble. And it's all because we're trying to do it in our strength. Not by resting in His love. Hebrews chapter 4 says we're to labor to enter into His rest. It's a strange statement. You've got to work hard to get into the rest. The laboring is just a laboring to learn to put aside our own efforts and to enter into his rest. And it goes on to say, God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. It says he rested on the seventh day because the work was done. And so the rest we're to enter into is his completed work in Christ. And most of us aren't resting. We're striving. And the tension that comes out in our life we become short or quick with our kids or our spouse or somebody at work. Why? Because of the pressure and the tension we're under. When the Prince of Peace, joy, all the fruit of the Spirit is in us waiting to come out and flow out of us. But the reason it's not, it's not because we're not trying hard enough. It's because we're not resting and allowing Him to flow out of us and through us. Why did Paul have to pray for the, the Ephesians that knew Paul Paul's the one that started that church. Why did he have to pray, God, give them a revelation of the length and breadth and height and depth that they would come to a revelation of the love of Christ for them? Why did he have to pray for them for that back in the first century when Paul's the one that went and visited them? Because it takes God showing us. And how much more today when we, Paul didn't come personally to us, but he wrote us these words. All right, let's begin to look at this. We'll just get into it. The most important thing we need to know, the first most important thing we've been told to do is to love one another. It's all through the Gospel of John. It's, oh, by the way, I want to share something with you, why this is important. And I didn't come up with this. This was a preacher I heard this from, but boy, it had an impact on me. There are two of the apostles that the Bible gives us an insight into about this. There's Peter. And we all know Peter. Peter suffered from a, a, an animal disease called foot and mouth. <laughs> he was always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter was the bold one. And, and you know, don't, don't, get, don't, don't get too critical of Peter until you've walked on water. Because although Peter sank, he walked. And if you want to find out how easy that is today... We got a pond out back when the service is over. And it's only about, I don't know, 50 yards across. You can start out. And I'll meet you at the other side with a towel. <laughs> Not only did Peter walk on the water, but when he looked at the wind and the waves, I love this, <laughs> he began to sink. How do you begin to sink? Some of you aren't getting that. How do you begin to sink? If I stepped over the side of the boat, I don't begin to sink. I go down. There's no process involved. It's in the boat dry. It's in the water wet. There's no in-between. Peter began to sink. So before we get too critical of Peter, let's walk on some water before we do that. But Peter did that in his boldness. Peter, now here's what I want to show you. Peter, had, and he had revelation. We're not going to get very far in my notes today, but that's okay. I'm just going to follow the Holy Spirit. Peter, Peter had a revelation of who Jesus is. Because in John chapter 6, when, when this huge crowd is gathered around him because he's feeding them. You want to get a huge crowd, especially pastors, just start feeding them. And, and he's feeding them, and then finally he just draws the line. about. He starts saying some tough things. He says, if, if you want to enter into heaven... You've got to eat my bread and drink my blood. Whoa, wait a minute. This is a cult we're getting into here. Whoa. And he said, then he really offended him. He says, you know the manna that came out of heaven? I'm the true bread. And they start walking away from him. And they all leave. That's the picture I get. And I just see Jesus standing there 
and there's the 12 around him. And they probably have a funny look on their face because when the day started, they had a huge church. I mean, thousands. Oh, this is going great. The pastor's doing great. You know, the offerings are coming in. And the people are here. They're getting well fed. Oh, this is great. And now the pastor opens his mouth, makes one statement, and everybody leaves. And now his staff looks at him and wonder, hmm. And so they must have had a look on their face because Jesus looks at them and says, are you going too? And Peter opens his mouth and says, where else will we go? Which means they thought about it. And he says, well, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the great prophet. And then he asks the question, who do you say that I am? And all the rest of them kind of looked, and Peter steps forward and says, you're the Christ. You're the one we've been looking for. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus smiles at him and says, Peter, flesh and blood didn't show that to you. My Father in heaven revealed to you who I am. Imagine how Peter felt. You know how you feel when you know you've heard from God? Oh, I just heard from God. You know, and people look at you strange. I remember sitting at, a, at some meeting years ago. I don't remember where we were. But there were a bunch of us after a meeting. We're all talking about each other. You know, the Lord said this and the Lord said that. And all of a sudden, you, know, you forget how unusual that is in the world. And the waitress kind of looked at She'd walk by and listen and walk by and listen. And you can see the look on her face, you know. They're talking about God talking to them. So you know how excited you get? That's how Peter was. And not only that, Jesus just said, Peter, he pointed him out. Flesh and blood, you just heard from my father. Whoa. Of course, only a few verses later when Jesus says, my father's told me to go to Jerusalem and die, Peter rebukes him and says, you can't do that. And now he says, get behind me, Satan. So in one moment he's hearing from God and the next moment he's hearing from the devil because the same openness to hear makes you susceptible to either source. You have to learn to discern the difference. point is this. Peter was confident, so much so in, in, in his commitment. Peter was confident in his commitment to Jesus. And he had some evidence to show it because he stood out among all of them. He was in the inner group. He had confidence. And, and, and so much so that, 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 that Peter kept saying, I'll die with you. I'll, I'll go. You're going to die. Okay, I understand now you've got to die, but I'm going to go with you. They're going to take you. They're taking me. Jesus smiles at him. Says, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to deny you even know me three times. And I'm confident Peter, even though the Lord told him that, I'm confident Peter says, I don't receive that. I'm a man of faith. I don't receive those words even though they came from the Lord himself. That's Peter. <laughs> In John 13, Jesus goes to wash their feet. That's a long story. I don't, I don't have time to get the whole significance. And he comes to Peter. Peter has to be different than everybody else. And Peter says to him, Lord, 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 no, 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 no. no. Now listen carefully because the Lord hit me with this a year ago. He says, Peter says, no, 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 no. You're, you're not going to wash my feet. If you read that in the original language and you look at some commentaries that brings this out, what Peter's saying is, oh, no, 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 no. You, you shouldn't be doing this for me. The implication is, I should be serving you. So Peter was confident in his commitment to serve the Lord, and Jesus rebukes him. I'll say it over here. Jesus... This is not a discussion among the disciples as to what's right. Jesus rebukes him and says, unless you allow me to wash your feet, you have no place with me. And unless you allow me to serve you, unless you're willing to say, I need you, Jesus, to do something for me, you can't even follow me where I'm going. Religious pride looks at what I'm doing for him. I pray an hour a day, I read my Bible every morning, 
I tithe, I get involved in the church, and those are all good things to do. We should do them all, but they earn nothing in terms of God's favor because God's favor is a free gift he gives to us because he loves us, he loves us, and we need it. And, of course, then Peter says, all right, if that's, I, got, I caught all of this one, then give me a whole bath. Oh, I forgot this one. Not only does he say, Lord, you shouldn't be doing this for me. I should do this for you. He then tells Jesus, no. He's telling the Lord he's wrong. See, when you, oh, when you begin to be confident or you're putting your trust in what you're doing for him, you'll even reject what he says. You'll reject what his word says because you're confident in you. This is where many, this is where I was until I was reading that verse one morning. This is only a year or so ago, two years ago, reading in my living room and early in the morning my cup of coffee and I'm just saying, Lord, I know there's something wrong. I'm having trouble. I'm struggling, receiving. And all of a sudden I go through that verse and the Lord opens my, Holy Spirit opened my eyes. You're doing just what Peter did. And I broke. And then the Lord could talk to me. He says, son, it's religious pride. You're confident in what you put your trust. And so when I am always feel like I'm failing all the time, see, just because I say you're confident doesn't mean you're doing a good job at it. Because there are many of us out there struggling and we, we always have this sense I'm failing. I'm falling short. I'm not measuring up. And so God's not pleased with me. Why? Because I'm looking at me and my, my relationship with God, His pleasure, His love for me is going to be based on, on how faithful I am. And I'm, I was faithful yesterday, but I'm, I'm not as faithful today because I got distracted. I ate something I shouldn't have eaten, and I feel guilty now. So I get up the next morning, and I don't feel as confident to pray, so I don't pray. I don't pray. And all of this is focused on what I'm doing. And there are two people, in, two categories of people. Those that are confident because they're doing so well, like Peter. Lord, I'll die with you. And the other rest of us who are still trusting in what we do, but we know we're falling so far short, we're never going to get And that keeps us from receiving from God. It's called condemnation. That's Peter. Then there was another disciple that talks about his relationship, and that's John. Oh, yeah. John never talks about his commitment to the Lord. John's the one that refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. John refers to himself, his image of who he was, is I'm not the one that loves Jesus. I'm the one that Jesus loves. You get the difference? John's confidence was in Jesus' love for him not his love for Jesus. Isn't it interesting when the rubber hit the road, we've talked about that before, when push comes to, sh when the crisis came, what happened to Peter? He did exactly what Jesus said. He didn't, this man that was ready to die for him is questioned by a young girl at a charcoal fire who could do nothing to him and she says, aren't, aren't you one of his disciples? No, 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 no. Never know him. Don't, don't know who he is. Someone else says, yes, yes, you do. I've seen you. No. And then he cursed Jesus, the man who only hours before would have said he would die for him. Jesus knew all this in his heart. That's why he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has come to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Isn't that nice? Jesus had prayed for him ahead of time so that when you come through this, you can encourage the others. So at the cross, when Jesus is hanging on that cross, Peter, who was so confident in, what, in his self and his religious commitment to Christ, was nowhere to be seen. John, the, who was only confident and his Savior's Lord for him was right there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene. So the end result of our faithfulness to him is not based on how committed we are to him. 
It's on the revelation of how much he loves you. That creates a loyalty that gets down in your heart. Jesus is so grateful, gracious because at the end of the Gospel of John, he appears to them on the, on the beach. And when they're finished eating, he takes Peter and says, let's take a little walk. This is so good. He said, Simon, do you, do you, do you love these more than me? And, and in this passage, you've got to understand, there's two different Greek words. We'll get into them later on when we study about what lo- this love really is like. He says, Peter, there's, 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 do you really love me more than these? And the Greek word there for love that Jesus asked the question with is agape, which literally means love at the level God lives. Unselfish, sacrificial love. Love that's not based on your value. It's based on my nature and character. And that's the way God's love is that we'll learn. Do you love me more than these? Now, I've read commentaries on people guessing, what do these mean? Does it mean the fish? What does it mean? And, you know, all you've got to do is ask the Holy Spirit. He's the author. He wrote the book. Wouldn't it be nice to have the author? What does this mean? You do. You have him living in you. I'm one time down in my study. He said, Lord, what does it mean? And all of a sudden, it hit me. What was Peter's confidence in? That he loved Jesus more than the other 11. So he's asking him, Peter, do you still think you love me at my level of love more than these love me? And Peter says, no, Lord, I phileo you. That word means a friendly, brotherly love. Jesus, Peter answered and said, no, I love you with my human love. He says, then feed my sheep. He recommissions him. He's restoring him out of love. He came to him a second time. He says, Peter, do you still believe that you agape me, love me with my kind of love, the kind of love you proclaimed that you would die for me? Do you still think you love me that way more than these do? And he said, no, Lord, I phileo you. I have a brotherly affection for you. Then feed my lambs. And then he asks a third time, and it grieved Peter. But this time Jesus doesn't say, "Do do you agape me more than these? He says, do you have a brotherly love for me? So Jesus brought it down to where he's restoring Peter. He says, then, feed my sheep. He recommissioned him for the responsibility he originally given him. And I share that with you, and this was not the direction I thought I was going to go this morning. I share that with you because this is where many of us are. And many of us are there and don't even know it. We're striving hard. We're trying to please God. And we're always falling short. Or there's some, maybe some of us that are confident, I do all the right things, I ought to be the pastor of the church, or I ought to be whatever this is, because I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that. And that's a more dangerous place to be, because that's the kind of pride that blinds you. But they both blind you. And we're struggling. And the issue is we're confident, we're trying to do it on our effort, and we haven't received what it takes to truly walk in this with Him. We're going to heaven, I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. And I don't want anybody to leave here feeling condemned because this is the purpose of this, is exactly what Jesus did with Peter, is to bring wholeness. God wants you whole. We just finished a series on first things first, and the reason we did that is because God wants to bless you. He wants to pour out on you His love, His blessing. He wants you whole. Jesus said, the Son of God came that you might be free and free indeed. God wants you free of every kind of bondage, fear, discouragement, whatever it is, whatever's holding you back, you're His child. Just as we want our children to be free, we want them to be healthy, we want them to be free, we want them to be taken care of, blessed, we want the very best for our children. How much more does our Heavenly Father want to bless His children? And He wants us to enjoy our life. Third John says, My children, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Isn't it amazing? I wish above all things, God says. I wish above all things, I wish above all things that my children would prosper and be in health even as their soul prospers. It's hard to be in physical health. It's hard to prosper unless your soul 
is prospering. And we all come to Christ in some way damaged by this world, by the devil, by sin, and God, because we're his children, wants to bring wholeness to us. But that wholeness comes from the inside. And the only thing that fills that, fills that void in your life with whole is the love of God for you. There was a song years ago, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. See, the world's trying to imitate it. The world's, so many movies are based on love and he loves her and she loves him and oh, they're so in love with each other. But that doesn't fill this void. This void can only be filled by God's love for you and for me. First Corinthians 13, 8, they're not going to put it up there. I didn't, get, get, didn't give it to them. Talks about love. Paul's correcting them in, 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 in their administration of the gifts of the Spirit and flowing in the Spirit because there were all kinds of crazy things happening. And Paul brings it back and says, look, you, all these things you're doing, if they're not done out of love, in God's eyes, ears, they're a noising gong and a clanging cymbal. And he talks about what love is. He doesn't define love. He talks about how it acts because love acts. And he ends in verse 8 by saying, love, this kind of love, never fails. And he ends that chapter by saying, everything else is going to pass away. But the one thing that will remain is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things is love. The greatest of these things is love. And what we're going to begin to learn next week, or maybe not next week because it's Mother's Day, is you can't give something you haven't received. I'd love to reach in my wallet right now and pull out a $500 bill and give it to Ron. I'd love to. I really want to. Could you use it? Yeah, you'd receive it, wouldn't you? No questions asked. I really want to. Sorry. I don't have it to give you. I can't give you something that I haven't received. In Matthew chapter 10... Jesus sends his disciples out on a mission. And he tells them to go and preach the gospel. He tells them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. And to say that the kingdom of God is now among you. Those all tie together. So the kingdom of God among us includes healing, salvation, deliverance, all that Jesus came to do. And then he makes this interesting statement to them at the end of that verse. He says, freely you have received, freely give. You can't give something, listen carefully, you can't give something you haven't received. And if you have, you'll give it away the same way you received it. So that if you received it at a great price, you'll make sure you extract a great price when you give it to someone else. But if you've received it freely as a gift of grace, a gift of love, then your heart will open up and you'll freely give the same way that you received. Some people get saved by having hell preached at them and some may need hell preached at them. But then they tend to go reach other people by preaching hell at them. Some are saved by the goodness of God, the love of God. I mean, we're all saved by the love of God, but it's the revelation of the love of God, and they tend to go and share Christ out of the... What you'll, you're sharing with people right now what you've received. And if you're walking in guilt, it's because you're trying to give something you haven't received yet. So what do we have to do, Pastor? Well, we've got to begin to receive so that we can give. Now that doesn't take all the responsibility off of us. That doesn't mean we just sit around, okay God, 
I now realize their problem a whole life is that I haven't received your love. So here I am. Drop it on me, boy. I'm, I'm here. Now, we're going to learn there is our side. But understand, it's not earning anything. It's opening our hearts so that God can bring into our hearts. Or He already brought it there so He can reveal to our hearts what He's already given to us. Jesus said, and this verse always troubled me, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he tells us how he loved us. He laid his life down for us. So you're commanding me to lay my life down for everyone else and I'm trying to desperately hold on to it. And so you feel guilty. I'm trying to, Lord. I know I'm commanded to. I want to. Why am I having trouble doing it? Because you're gonna, we're going to see this all the way through. The basis of faith is trusting Him. Faith isn't something you do. It's someone you trust. We're going to learn next time, love is not something you initiate. It's a response to what God's done for you. Everything we do is a response for what He's done for us. Otherwise, we get the credit. Otherwise, God becomes obligated to us. And one of the ways you know if this is what's going on in your life, if you get mad at God because something didn't happen the way you thought it ought to. Job's a good example of that. I don't have time to get into Job this morning. But Job was a righteous man. Even God said so twice in the first chapter. He's a good man. He's a righteous man. And he is choosery. He, he avoids evil. But under pressure... And you don't ever want to go through the kind of pressure Job went through. Under pressure, what was still down in his heart began to come out, and he got mad at God and accused God of being unrighteous. He never cursed God, but he got mad at God and accused him of being righteous. And he, and he said at one point, he says, this isn't fair. If you were a person that did this to me, this is my translation of it, I could take you to court and get justice. Imagine Job saying to God, this isn't fair because I can't sue you and get you into court, which means you violated my right somehow. So down in Job was an attitude, even though he was a good man, even though he was a righteous man, there was this attitude down in his heart that some of this blessing I've gotten, I've earned somehow. And that came out under... So sometimes the pressure we go through, God doesn't cause it, but it's a chance to find out what's really inside. I, I, I like grapes, and I, I'm not good enough so I can look at them and tell this kind has seed and this kind doesn't unless they put a little sticker on them. But I did find an absolutely perfect way to find out which kinds has seed and which kinds don't have seed. Put it between my fingers and squeeze it. Because under the pressure, I find out what's inside. And under pressure in our life, we find out the attitudes in our heart that God knew were there all along that we didn't know because everything was going along well. And that's not a time to get condemned. That's the time to take the seed and deal with it. That's the time to let God help you deal with those attitudes. And it begins by just acknowledging, whoa, I'm not where I thought I was. So God's answer to Job, the way he helped him, was there was a young man that began to speak to Malihu. And then God comes on the scene and kind of pushes him aside and says, let me, let me ask some questions myself. You want to be on the witness stand? Here, let me ask, as a lawyer, I kind of picture it this way. Let me ask you some questions. Let me cross-examine you. You've been testifying against me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you? And each one of these questions just keeps hitting Job. God's not condemning him. God's trying to open him up to recognize who God really is. God didn't take all that stuff away from him. It's really clear Satan took it away from him. And God restores twice of what was taken away from him. But God's had to get through. See, when we think somehow we're earning something, we exclude God. When we think some of this 
is because I've been faithful at this. Some of this, my standing before God, God loves me and is pleased with me because I pray, because I tithe, because I give. Some of what is because of anything I do, then in that area of my heart, God can't get in because I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm in that area. I'm trusting in me. And the Bible says God will be a debtor. See, when I do that, then God owes me something. That's why I'm saying. One of the ways to know what's really going on is when things don't go the way that you think they should, what comes out of you? You get mad at God, that means you think He's cheating you. That you deserve something from Him you're not getting. And that's exactly right. We deserve something from Him we're not getting. It's called hell. And we're getting things from Him we don't deserve. That's called grace. We're getting heaven. Here's why that's important. Because it may be, you know, you're struggling with receiving healing. And one of the reasons we struggle with that, anything, maybe, maybe you're, you know, you're doing all the right things and yet you don't, you know, God's not blessing you financially. Well, pastor, you know, I've done what you said, but the windows of heaven aren't open. Maybe you're doing it as a, as a, as a work to earn something from God. If I do this, then God will do that. That's not grace. That's saying, I've done my part, now, God, you're obligated to do your part. Grace is a free gift from God. So the reason we struggle sometimes is, well, you know, I just, I don't, I don't God, God wouldn't heal me. I'm not worthy to be healed. God wouldn't provide for me. I'm, I'm, I'm such a mess. God wouldn't provide for me. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You are such a mess and you have failed. But let me ask you a question. Are you getting into heaven? How many are going to heaven? God's watching. <laughs> are you going there because you deserved it? Then why do you think God will heal you because you deserve it? Why do you think God will prosper you and take care of you because you deserve it? If God's going to bring you into his family and into his heaven, not because you deserve it, but because of his character and his grace and his love, if he's going to do that for you in the biggest thing, Romans 8.32 says, if he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? Why would he hold anything else back from us? It's not based on you. It's based on his love for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your love for us. And we just ask you and continue to trust you to prepare our hearts to receive this revelation. Father, help us to see in this week that's ahead areas of our life where maybe we've been trusting in ourselves. Maybe we've been looking at ourselves. Maybe we've been uh, thinking we're not worthy or whatever it may be. And we've just really not seeing the love that you have for us. Help us to recognize the symptoms in our life that we've really not yet received the love that you have for us. Prepare our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I want to I sing this song, and then I'm going to do one other thing. When you're ready. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like But I've heard the tender whisper of a love in the dead of night And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Searching for answers, far and 
Father. We're going to learn more of that. And your identity is your love by Him. I want you to get up in the morning and you first look in that mirror. It's going to sound strange to you at first. I want you to say, God loves that person. And He spared not His own Son for you. Today, He's going to walk with you through this day. Amen. The most important thing you'll ever know in your life because it changes everything. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or five days. It's what we need to know more than anything in here, not up here. 